The Radical Secular Podcast, a demand for justice, equality, and rational public policy. Subscribe at YouTube, Apple Podcasts and all the major podcast channels. Visit our website at theradicalsecular.com for articles, insights, and our complete library of episodes. Support us on Patreon and follow us on social media. Welcome to the Radical Secular Podcast. I'm Sean Prophet. And I'm Joe Okipinti. Today, we're going to bring you a special one-on-one interview segment I did with anti-disinformation and anti-fascist activist Jim Stewartson. We'll be covering a wide range of topics, including the outrageous not guilty verdict in the Rottenhouse, I mean, oh, Rittenhouse trial. We'll also be talking about retired General Michael Flynn, who made the outrageous and anti-democratic statement that, quote, if we are going to have one nation under God, which we must, We have to have one religion, one nation under God, and one religion under God, right? All of us working together, end quote. We're getting more and more used to these kinds of flagrant statements of anti-democratic purpose on the right. We get several of these every week now from what used to be the lunatic fringe and has now become mainstream. Yes, Flynn was roundly condemned in the press for what he said. But outside the mainstream, a growing number of Americans are responding to these provocations with increasingly un-American enthusiasm. We're going to talk today about how we got here. But first, I want to remind you to make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends to listen. And please head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash theradicalsecular. We'd really appreciate your support, even if it's just buying us a cup of coffee every month. We have support tiers from $3 a month on up. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles weekly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. Okay, let's get right into our t-shirts. Joe, what do you got today? You know, I was wondering what to wear today and thought maybe I'd wear like this, this like unity shirt, but no, that wasn't really the mood. So I decided to wear my old MMA shirt. Yes, I concur with that. No, <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> I used to do MMA. I started to stop because of shoulder issues and I switched to Aikido, but uh, uh, we need to talk more about that, how to approach the times that we live in. And we need to th- start thinking about how to, how to survive through this, both on an emotional level and a social level and, and on a real level, right? And um, not to get too dramatic about it, but I think what we're facing is pretty dire and we're going to talk about that today, I think. Yeah, and we have to live in the world that is not the world we all wish existed. And more and more I've been coming to that and my shirt today has. <laughs> yeah. I've worn this before, but it's more appropriate now than ever. And that is that we cannot cede the ground of our public square to fascism. We have to confront it in whatever way it's necessary. And so we have to talk about, we will be talking about that a little bit later, but I want to talk more. I want to start by talking more just globally, generally about what we are facing. And so As most of you are no doubt painfully aware, our nation and our global democracy are under a furious withering and sustained attack from reactionary forces. Michael Flynn is in the vanguard of those forces. His statement about having only one religion is both chilling and entirely unsurprising because right now, the very worst elements of American Christianity are melding in purposeful and strategic ways with the forces of wealth and autocracy to not only destroy democracy, but also to eliminate all traces of freedom of conscience and religion. 
This is nothing less than a full frontal assault on secularism. So let's dig in. We've talked about General Flynn on several episodes recently, and I'm sure he'll be an ongoing topic for us and really for anyone who cares about the continuance of the American experiment in democracy and pluralism, because Flynn is turning out to be a massive and growing threat. Has anyone considered the horrifying prospect that he might run for president in 2024? He's way worse than Trump. The right loves him, and I hate to say it, but he could win. More and more, the right is using a sophisticated and weaponized disinformation and psyops uh, to blind and confuse Americans out of what used to be common sense definitions of who we are as a nation, what we stand for, and more importantly, what we won't stand for. And Michael Flynn and his minions are ass deep in that project. The average person has no idea what's going on. They're still stuck in old definitions of right versus left, moderate versus extremist, Democrat versus Republican, religious versus secular. And they still think we live in a nation under the rule of law, <laughs> which is uh, at this point becoming more and more untenable to hold that viewpoint. Uh, so they don't know what's in the works. They don't understand the stakes of this battle. Their minds have been so quickly and relentlessly colonized by disinfo that even those who should know better are increasingly willing to fight on enemy turf and lose. Because trust me, if you're thinking in terms of 20th century American politics, you're losing. The new American theocracy of disinformation is an offshoot of global multispectral warfare that has already been successful in reframing our national dialogue so far outside the old Overton window that the window hasn't just been smashed. The frame has been ripped out and moved to the house next door, at the house to the right, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the impact of this attack on democratic values has been so devastating and so quick that it's sometimes hard to comprehend. And the reason I call it a theocracy is because our government is being taken over by these folks. It doesn't matter that we currently have a Democratic president and slim majorities in both houses of Congress. The takeover is coming through extreme gerrymandering and the buggering of elections in red states. It will take a miracle for Democrats to hold Congress, and Biden's approval ratings are not where they need to be for him to win re-election. So you can count on the fact that if they succeed in taking the reins of power in 22 and 24, we're going to see enforcement of what Michael Flynn is talking about not just in terms of making Christianity a state religion, but in terms of really openly codifying white male supremacy as official government policy, because that's their religion, okay? It's just masquerading as Christianity. And, and that's the ultimate goal of this disinfo campaign. Theocracy and white male supremacy make no mistake. So this whole cancel culture psyop that's been raging since 2016 and before was just a warm-up. At the same time as the right has been whining incessantly about cancel culture and their own victimhood, They've actively been canceling not just human rights, but they've also been actively going after the intellectual frameworks that make people care about human rights. The anti-CRT gambit, where they're firing teachers and principals for teaching real American history, is going on simultaneously with a renewed push to take over school boards and purge any literature or curricula that might help kids understand their history or care about human rights or challenge the conservative moral hierarchy at all. While we were worried about passing an infrastructure bill and giving folks paid family leave and childcare, right-wing fascists have been planning and executing 21st century book burnings. This all happened with lightning speed. You can't win a war if you don't realize you're fighting. And that war is raging every day under the radar of most people. They know something's wrong, but they're still clinging to the idea that somehow we can return to a sense of normalcy. The normalcy we had before Trump, before COVID, before climate change started to really bite. They might have thought that the election of Joe Biden was going to return our nation to that sense of calm we had during the Clinton or Obama presidencies, or frankly, I'm sad to say, even during the George W. Bush presidency, as bad as that was, before alternative facts, before the GOP turned into a full-blown 
treasonous insurgency. And I have bad news. That's not going to happen. That old America we all grew up in is gone. The America that produced an honest and sincere, no-nonsense statement, statesman like Joe Biden is gone. It's gone forever. And I'm really sad to say this. I've avoided that conclusion for a long time, but it's true. It's what's happening. We all have to wake up and recognize this as a fact. That old America is gone. It won't be coming back. What will replace it is the open question. And a lot depends on how many people wake up, recognize what's happening, and start resisting. And they better do it soon. Most people's concerns, however, miss the real story. They miss that we've crossed a threshold and that a door has closed behind us. People are understandably worried about our nation being divided and the ramped up threats of violence both toward and by public officials. They're worried about civil war. Some are worried about white replacement. Others are worried about climate. People are worried or possibly enthused about the 400 million guns on America's streets and in people's homes. And it's not just those, but the 40 million new guns that are expected to be sold just this year by the end of 2021. So everyone's worried about a lot of things and they're freaking out in new and different ways. There's quiet anxiety and hand-wringing by liberals over what we've lost, like decency, a loyal opposition, rule of law, and there are also increasingly public tantrums by conservatives. I think it's fair to say that the shared sense of reality that used to define what it means to be an American is now also gone. Along with it, even the memories of the facts and values we once shared are fading, and I'm not sure that enough people, particularly young people, are even aware of what has been lost and what is still yet to be lost. It's a lot there. Um, I would, honestly, I, I concur with a lot of what you said. We do need to be sober and we have to realize that we have moved into a new phase. This, you know, the, the post-war era is over and we are now looking at a growing theocratic fascist movement in our country that has a great deal of control, not only in the reins of government, but even more importantly, they have control in the culture, they have control in the media, and they're shaping our the stories about America. They're shaping who, who we think we are. For example, with a critical race theory, they're, they're, they're reshaping literally that whole notion of social uh, progress and history, and they're doing it really unabashedly and without much resistance. Uh, even you can see how defensive the left has been to this whole process with, with critical race theory. And that's just one example. Um, so what we got here is we have, you know, all of this happening in the context of a declining superpower. And whenever you have that in the world, whenever you have a major power that's in decline, there's always this, these kinds of shenanigans that accompany it. Oftentimes it's war. I mean, it's, we're living in a time now where we have to be very, very sober about what's happening. And I think this, what, this is what this, the interview today is about, what our show is about. Not to be completely doom and gloom here, uh, I think that there is potential for some resistance and some good here. But let's not fool ourselves. It's like the climate issue is a very is very parallel to that we talked about last week. We've got to be really honest about how bad it is before we can move forward. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, just as we said with climate, right? We know it's dire, and yet we have to have optimism anyway, even if we think that it's ultimately futile, right? Because you're 
optimism is the radical act and optimism that we can somehow uh, save this country from the forces that are trying to destroy it is a radical act. And I have that, I have that optimism. Okay. But I think that the reason the left is losing this battle and we're losing badly, don't even like, <laughs> don't even mistake the situation. Okay. The fact that maybe Biden can get this third bill passed and, you know, maybe we can get some of these social safety net provisions into law. That's window dressing. Okay. Like we have lost the power, the narrative, the ability to even recognize what's going on. I mean, the yeah. fact that Joe Biden has just done, he's accomplished some of the most consequential legislation that's been passed in a decade, probably since Obamacare. All right. And yet his approval ratings continue to drop because the narrative has been seized by the right wing, even even CNN. And, and we talked about this a little bit in the uh guest segment that we're that you're going to hear a little bit later even even CNN even the liberal media even the New York Times Washington Post these are the papers of record that normally would have presented a, a dispassionate look at what was going on and have you know been, gotten all bogged down in you know oh you know why what's wrong with Kamala Harris what's wrong with Biden's approval ratings is he is he failing you know these these types of questions that just play right into the idea that Instead of looking at this as a transformative moment with, with these bills being passed and all the good they're going to do for Americans, we've got 88% of Americans right now who are extremely worried about inflation. Well, guess what? This whole inflation thing is another PSYOP, okay? The, the reality is that we have 6% inflation. We've been used to having 2%. It's not a it's not a huge crisis, okay? It's a matter for concern, but the reason for the inflation is not Joe Biden. <laughs> it's not you know it's not money printing. It's not social spending as the right is framing it. It's because we just had a pandemic, and the pandemic constrained our supply of goods, and so the prices of the goods that are left over are going up. All right, and this is the reality here that that. Americans can't even see good news when it happens. They're prevented from even acknowledging the good news when it when it's happening. Well, that that's precisely the new world that we you're, you are talking about, Sean. Where we're living now, we're living in 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 a massive psyop in a massive game, honestly, uh, to control people's minds. And it's not, it's not like that's new. It's always been the case, but it's been augmented uh, at a time. I mean, you, ha you have this confluence of these new powerful media technologies with declining empire, with all these problems that we're having that we've discussed in the show. So they're all coming together to create this crisis. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, thinking that, you know, we're going to pass good policies and that's going to make us win next week is old America. That's old America. It's, it's old not America. where we're it at anymore. It has nothing to do with it. Like these, this cultural nope. stuff is, um, it's everything now. I mean, it comes down to the fact that Republicans st have stopped arguing policy. And, and we should have recognized that when they didn't write a 2020 platform. Right. And we've mentioned this before on the show. They don't care about policy. They are only about power. And even a member of the GOP caucus 
was quoted recently, I forget the name of who said it right now, but was quoted recently as saying that uh, Kevin McCarthy doesn't believe in anything. And this is the, this is the would-be Speaker of the House. He has no beliefs. It's only about power. And that is the same thing with Trump. I mean, Trump is, is excoriating Republicans for voting for American infrastructure. He is viciously denouncing them for raising the debt ceiling and not sending the country into default. You know, well, the, there was that famous <laughs> quote by McConnell when uh, Obama won in 2009 that we have to make him a one-term president. We're going to deny him everything. It's not about the yep. country. It's about power. Yep. And Yeah, so you know, this is not new. No. But I mean that was a forewarning. That was a, that was a, you know, uh, you know, this should have told us more than it did. People just kind of shrugged it off. Uh, it is about power now and, and more than anything else. So, and, and we need to start thinking in those terms. Yeah, there is no other lens, really, when you when you look at it, because if we can't if we can't recognize when a president and a party passes historic legislation to make the American people's lives better. And if we're seeing approval ratings drop 10 percent anyway. Right. What are we? What, what, what are we as a nation? OK. And <laughs> I want to share a new insight with our listeners that I gained last week about America's decline. And I only gained that insight because I stepped out of my liberal bubble. I did something that some of you might find controversial or at least not completely in character for a liberal activist. But that's not really what I am anyway. I'm very firmly a post liberal, as I believe all of us on the show are in the sense that I do very much see what's happening in our nation and the world in terms of raw power. As such, I do very much, as I said at the beginning of the show, need to live in the world that is not the world I wish existed. So here's the story. Jillian and I went to a gun store this week to buy a new pistol. It's not a decision we took lightly. I hadn't fired a weapon at all since 2012 or 2013, and we had gone to the shooting range near my house to make sure that the old guns I've owned for something like 30 years were still working. And it turns out that one of them wasn't. I had an old nine millimeter Ruger that uh, kept jamming on me and it's basically not a safe or functional weapon anymore. So um, by the way, we do want to do an episode about gun policy and about the current state of gun culture in America. So I will save most of what I have to say about the subject of firearms for a future episode. But I did learn a few things being around gun people for the first time in many years, both at the range and at the store, because I hadn't been around them since forever. And First of all, no masks on anyone, <laughs> not a damn mask in sight anywhere. And a lot of them probably aren't vaccinated. And let me tell you, the gun world has changed in other ways. Those guys are in full on preparation mode. They all think that there's going to be some serious fighting in America. And they also think that Kyle Rottenhouse is a full blown American hero. And it's not just some of them who feel that way. It's all of them. There are probably 20 people in the gun store. And as soon as the subject came up, one person shouted, is he innocent yet? Another one shouted back, that trial is total bullshit. And we were talking about some accessories for the pistol that we bought. And the guy said, what you see here is what you get. We're not special ordering anything right now. We get what we get. Everything is selling out. There's no ammo available anywhere. Every time the president speaks, I sell more guns. All the manufacturers are running three shifts. Okay, this is what this guy said, like verbatim. And that wasn't the only sign of panic buying. Apparently, the computerized background check system is down because it's so overloaded. And they had a phone line open at the store to the background check center the entire time we were there. They were just on hold. <laughs> and uh, finally, someone got on the line from the, from the state and they were able to verbally process the day's background checks, which was a stack about a half an inch thick. And 
this is all very serious shit. We're living through an explosion of weapons sales that exceeds even what happened under the Obama administration. We've blown through any checks or balances or frankly, any liberal fantasies about controlling guns. There's just no way to unring that bell. If anything, the Supreme Court might be poised to expand gun rights further, even beyond the Heller decision by limiting the kinds of regulations states can enforce. It's, it's, it's a nightmare. So I'm really heartbroken about this. I'm someone who really, 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 really doesn't like the idea of living in an armed society. I would like to see comprehensive national gun control. I don't want to have to worry about defending myself or my loved ones from crazy armed Trumpers or just armed shitheads in general. I would absolutely turn in my guns if the laws changed. But Elvis has really left the building on that one, let me tell you. With this many guns on the street, you can be sure that there's a high chance that on any given day, you're going to encounter multiple people who are carrying a weapon in your car, on your bike, in the store, in a restaurant, uh, wherever you are, you're surrounded by armed shitheads. And a lot of them have concealed carry permits. So you won't even know who's prepared to kill you. That's just a fact. Yeah. I consider what is really being largely defined as extremist today in our society. Again, the right controls the discourse. What is extremist and what is not? Promoting equality, accountability that comes from social justice principles. That's the extreme position mm -hmm. now. That's the, the, the ones that you have to be careful of. And the freedom to carry an assault weapon in a public setting is not. The helplessness around the gun issue is, is also telling. Think about how completely and totally toothless any of our institutions are to improving this issue. The having more gun control and regulation just isn't in the cards. It hasn't been for a long, long time. Really, what, what else do you see that in the world? Where do you see guns so free? And the inability for a society to get guns under any form of control whatsoever. Only in failed states. In places where warlords and drug cartels have effectively more power than the government. In our case, here, it's that the discourse has the power. The right-wing mm -hmm. discourse. And it has taken control. And it supersedes anything else. The gun issue is emblematic of the downfall of our society. I'm sorry to have to say that our institutions are so helpless to do anything about gun violence should be a dire warning to all of us. Something is truly wrong. Something is incredibly wrong. And speaking of guns and craziness, now we have to talk about um, this verdict in the Rotten House trial <laughs> and... It's just like a gut punch this morning to hear that and just heard it just minutes before we got on here to uh, tape the show. And it's also that we also have to talk about the McMichael Bryan trial. OK, and I want to I want to stress that it's the McMichael Bryan trial, not the Ahmad Arbery trial. OK, even though that's how the media is reporting it. As usual, the headlines telegraph the bias that somehow the dead black guy is on trial. I mean, think about it. I went down Google. Okay, I did a Google search about about you know for uh, for Ahmad Arbery, and every single article Ahmad Arbery trial, Ahmad Arbery trial, and it is three white men who are on trial for killing Ahmad Arbery, not Ahmad Arbery. Okay, and so it's just um, here we go again. This is the theocracy of disinformation, where the information control is so total that. Number one, the victim doesn't recognize that they are being, their mind is being colonized. And 
um, there is no alternative viewpoint, right? I mean, I didn't see one headline anywhere talking about the McMichael Bryan trial, right? They're not even named. It's like, <laughs> we don't even know who they are. Like, I had to actually look up their names because I didn't remember. Yeah, that's the insidious part of this. It is what has become normal versus what used to be normal. I mean, the the idea that we're naming these cases based on the on the person who's murdered and and just ignoring the murderers uh, that that is actually a new thing and also with a with um you know the trial with uh kyle there i mean an untrained radicalized 17 year old armed with high-powered rifle took it upon himself to become a defender quote unquote of property and threw himself in the middle of these really tense protests that were going on at the time. Um, what the heck is happening in our society? What's going to prevent this? The acquittal will certainly lead to more vigilantism and death. Now, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the courtroom. I don't know the details as they played out as I should. And I'm not going to second guess any of this. Although, what I will say is that the consequences of this acquittal could well, is are just going to make 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 things all that much worse because the one thing about you know the 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 law system right the justice system is to try to prevent more crimes right prevent them and you had well, a third of the population <laughs> right calling this kid a hero and now they've been vilified and they've been justified in their beliefs. And we're going to see consequences to that. Remember, Joe, you and I have a view of justice that is um, both that is restorative justice, right? We believe in consequentialism, utilitarianism, best right. outcomes. These people don't feel that way. They see justice as um, promoting their own team. They see justice as punitive for punishing the villains in their narrative. And it doesn't matter. There's no like. There's no equal uh, rule of law. There's no best outcomes for them. It's only did our guy win, or did he lose? And it's the same thing with loyalty, like to Trump, right? They're they're purging people who aren't loyal to Trump out of the Republican Party, and they're purging anyone who would ever you know call for, you know, if you were a Republican and you call this verdict unjust, you're going to be out of that party because. Yeah. You have you, basically to be in that party, you have to swear allegiance to that party, right or wrong, no matter what. And that's what we're really looking at. Well, I mean, here we are where now it's normal for a 17 year old to have an assault weapon and to take it across I don't know, how, how far he went, miles and miles from his home and to, to, to say and then to kill three people and the two people, I guess and then to, to claim self-defense. I mean, it was pretty premeditated. He went there. It's not like these people came into his home or his property and were threatening him. He went to a very, very tense situation with an assault rifle and basically went to war. And yeah. that's what he did. He was the only one to shoot anyone, right? If they're talking about this protest being violent, he was the only one who really committed violence here. And this is the other thing, because I was talking to the guy at the gun store and, um, you know, he was just going on and on and on about how it was right, his right for self-defense. And I'm like, why was he there? 
Like, why did he put himself in that situation to where he would need to defend himself? What was the point of that? You know, and they're, they're, they, 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 it doesn't matter. They're not looking for a no. rational argument. No. They're looking to stack up talking points and rhetoric to justify basically a white male supremacist society. And I, as I mentioned on Twitter this morning, don't think that your white skin will protect you from murderous fascism, people. I mean, the three people who were shot were white. And you've got the white supremacist party calling them expendable, right? That's, that's what's going on here. So the Nazis will throw you under a bus even if you're white, people. And by the way, I just want to say that if you go back in history and you look at the Weimar, Weimar Republic in the 1930s, and you had this vigilantism by what would become the brown shirts in the Nazi party, but people like, mm -hmm. like that, they went to trial at that time. Well, there was still, uh, you know, some semblance of a democracy and, and a civil society there. They went to trial. And what, what defense did they use? Self-defense. They cried and they cried in, uh, uh, on the, uh, on the podium, like, like Kyle did. They used the same rationale, the same logic to try to escape the consequences then, right? This is, this is, you know, we're seeing something here that's very ominous. That's all well, I can say. If look, if you're if you're in the right, you don't need to play on people's emotions. Okay. If you're if you have if you have the moral high ground, you don't need to play on people's emotions. And it is absolutely not a coincidence that we see this now whenever any white male is called to account for anything, they break down and they freak out and they cry. I mean, Brett Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, a Supreme right. Court. Justice nominee breaks down in front of Congress when he's called to account for his past. Okay. And it wasn't just Rotten House who broke down on the stand. It was also McMichael. McMichael broke down on the stand and cried. Okay. The guy who murdered Ahmad Arbery in cold blood and he's crying and claiming that it was the most traumatic experience of his life. It's like, this is, this is classic and it's, um, the entire country is being played by this. You know, the, the, the commentary today after the verdict was basically about technical issues involving self-defense and not about this gross miscarriage of justice and what this might mean for race relations, for, you know, for the ability of anyone to get justice in this country in the future. So, um, well, we have an explosion of guns, right? People are buying them in record numbers and we have the courts not saying that it's okay to kill people. So... Yeah, it's know, a, <laughs> not a good equation. I mean, I fully expect there will be some, um, there will be some either an appeal to this verdict or there will be some kind of federal action taken on this. And but our Justice Department is not doing its job. Prosecutors didn't do their job. That judge was, I mean, it was a complete kangaroo court. Um, I know you say you don't want to. You don't want to question what happened there. And I wasn't in the jury room. None of us were. But the fact is, is that I don't blame the jurors either because they were given bad instructions. Uh, there was a, a, a farcical trial put on that they were asked to participate in. And I don't think that a, an honest jury could have come out with a different verdict at that point because they were told to disregard a lot of things that otherwise would have been considered evidence. That's true. So, 
the jury instructions were basically what sealed the deal there. Um, all right, well, I think we have covered pretty much the events of the day and what I wanted to talk about. And I want to introduce our guest segment now, which is with Jim Stewartson. And I don't have a bio for him, but let's just say that I don't think he needs much introduction. He is a huge uh, Twitter anti-fascist activist and anti-disinformation activist. And I really had a great conversation with him. And I think that you all will start to really understand better what is going on here because these two events are connected, all right? This disinformation and what happened today are intimately connected and Christian theocracy. So let's listen. Jim, welcome to the Radical Secular Podcast. I'm so glad we found time to do this. Likewise, I'm, I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, well, you're someone who digs deeply into these various right-wing rabbit holes and finds connections that a lot of other people miss. And we just recently met on Twitter where, when you posted that Michael Flynn clip with my mother. And since I've been following you, I've really gained a much deeper perspective into the enemies of democracy that we're facing. And we also had a chance to talk on Zeb Shalev's Narrative TV. And I've also noticed that you and Heidi Kuda and Sean Connor and High Fidelity have started a new podcast called Radicalized. Indeed. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Sorry for stealing the name. I uh, came came up with it before we met, um, but I think it. <laughs> I think it. The fact that both of us chose that word speaks to the moment that we're in. <laughs> totally. Well, nobody owns that word, and I think I it's know. great. We we you know we we really all do need to be radicals and. Agreed. Uh, because that's what the moment, yeah, the moment calls for that. Um, I, I really enjoyed your first episode. And I just wondered, without necessarily going through a total recap, if you can give our listeners a brief background as to who you are and how you got into the position of what really amounts to cutting edge anti-disinformation activism and what your plans are for the Radicalized podcast. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I'm just a guy. I've been in technology building games, more or less, um, you know, fancy, interesting ones. I've been, you know, um, I've pioneered a few things along the way. Um, and, and one of those things that, that I was really proud of um, before um, was a thing called alternate reality games. And alternate reality games are these big kind of viral experiences that people would go through online and also crossing into the real world. They'd go on scavenger hunts and try to find a phone buried in a cake somewhere. And, you know, <laughs> we'd, we'd show people online or we had one uh, that we did for Halo where we delivered this huge story over pay phones and then, then kind of repiped the story back onto the internet. And it was really fun. It was a, it was a way to get people kind of um, interested in how the internet might tell stories, right? That's how we kind of thought of it. And uh, um, we did notice one thing, though, that it was very powerful and that if you didn't give people the proper guidelines and boundaries, that mm -hmm. they would, and we used to say to each other, drive themselves crazy trying to find a puzzle that didn't exist or trying to, to solve a puzzle that didn't have a solution. Right. And, and in game design, those are terrible things, right? You don't. And so immediately, whenever we saw that behavior, we thought, Oh, okay. New, we're just learning here. Let's put a guardrail there to make sure that that doesn't happen. 
right? Mm-hmm. You don't want people to drive themselves crazy and, and get, get themselves into to bad cycles of behavior and obsessive cycles of behavior. And that's what we, we saw. And so, um, you know, like any other, you know, kind of medium, it can be abused. And 15 months ago, um, I, you know, I'd been sort of tracking QAnon. I had kind of an idea. It was like an alternate reality game. Um, but August 2nd, 2020, an old colleague of mine from the alternate reality game space sent me an article and I took a look at it and I went, wow, holy shit. That sure does sound like an ARG. Uh, let me go take a look. And within three days I was completely radicalized and identified Mike Flynn as, you know, as a fascist who was either in charge of, or would be in charge of QAnon. And, uh, and for, Literally every single day since then, uh, I have I have been you know researching and and working with colleagues and yelling my brains out on Twitter, um, and so so the idea of the podcast is to hone that in a little bit, give it a give give it a, some a human face, um, and and just be able to talk about these things openly and and with the level of urgency that I think we, we agree it requires. So, you know, I've, I've, I've found my, my colleagues on the podcast, basically, uh, you know, it's been a large game of survivors since I started, you know, Mm -hmm. lots and lots of people sort of getting excited and involved, especially around January 6th. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard stuff. You get attacked, you get people running literal ops on you and all kinds of horrible shit. And, you know, basically the people that, that I'm with are the ones who managed to to kind of hang on this far. Um, so that's kind of the origin story of me and it. That's very good. And I think I remember very well the article that you're talking about, if it's the one I'm thinking of, and that is just talking about the gamification of propaganda and 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 looking for patterns that aren't there. And I think it was a brilliant article because it really described so much of why this is so seductive for people. And and and, and we also know that there was crossover with Gamergate very much so uh, into the radicalization of young people. So um, that. Yeah, but, game, but, Gamergate is a whole is a whole thing. It you know arguably is really the beginning of this sort of latest fascist insurgency in America mm-hmm. um, because it it radicalized a whole bunch of incels and angry young you know uh, right wing men and basically used misogyny to create mm-hmm. a cult. And all cults need targets, and in this case, the targets were women, and um, and so they they spent their time on 4chan, you know, doing memes and getting angry about women. Steve Bannon saw that and decided to turn up the heat and put Miley Yiannopoulos on it, and and you know made it worse and worse and worse until people ended up dying, people ended up getting you know swatted and and all kinds of shit. And that core group of people who started that whole thing is still at the center of, of all of this stuff. 
including obviously Bannon, Eric Prince, Mike Flynn, all of those guys, um, you know, yeah. um, they, you can trace their or- origins back to 2014, 2015. Yeah. And I think it was interesting what you said about that. They got together a bunch of young right-wing angry men. In a, in a lot of ways, I think they may have manufactured a bunch of young right-wing Indeed. angry men That's because true. because these are just kids, right? These are kids who just are trying to live and all of a sudden they're being told, "Hey, you're being suppressed. Uh you're, you know, you're men right. are being are being are being censored. Men are being punished for being men and and just kind of whipping up this this anger into a frenzy." And it's it, a lot of people have gotten caught up in it. Yeah. There there are many vulnerabilities, right? Um to getting radicalized. Um, and one, one of them is, is being disenchanted with your life. And if you're a young male, like being frustrated about sex is part of life, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> unless you're, you know, that one annoying guy who's the captain of the football team and get anyone he wants, right. there's a certain level of frustration, right? And so tapping into the extreme end of that is what they did, right? They, they took the guys who, who were just really angry and for whatever reason, background, abuse, you know, who knows? They were the ones who were ready to accept the idea that, no, actually, the problem is women. You know, right. Well, if you get told repeatedly over and over again, hey, you can't talk shit about women. You can't abuse women. You can't rape women. They're going to say, well, yes, I can. I'm going to talk shit about women. I'm going to abuse women. I'm going to rape women. You know, so it's like you're you're really almost like daring these guys who are already at the point in their lives where they're they're rebellious and they want to transgress and they want to uh, they, they, they want to be recognized, um, you know, as individuals. And you're 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 kind of molding and shaping that in, in, in a negative direction. It's really destructive. It's incredibly destructive. And what, you know, what they, what they learned is the part that is, I think most destructive is that you can brainwash people online, Mm -hmm. right? That, that was the fundamental kind of, um, you know, revolution, if you will, with kind of Gamergate and, you know, going back a little bit further into some other stuff, but it was really Gamergate and, and 4chan and, uh, and, you know, especially 8chan that, that created the conditions for the type of ra- radicalization, you know, that we've seen. Yeah. Well, that's all um, very, very good backstory. But let's get right into the topic of retired General Michael Flynn. In, in the intro, before you came on, I talked about Flynn's call for one religion in America and how dangerous that was. And you recently tweeted that Michael Flynn is, in fact, Q. Can you explain how you came to that conclusion? And in general, what is so deeply sinister about Flynn? Yeah, well, let me let me clarify that a little bit. He, he There is no Q. And it's really important to be very clear about that. Q is a is a live action role play character. It's a LARP. So that mm-hmm. means that anyone can play it, right? And many people did. I can name 15 people who wrote for Q. Um, but Mike Flynn was always behind it. And if you um, if you just look at what it said, what it did, what it you know um, how it operated. Um, it's it, it 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 is all part of Flynn's plan to a get himself out of of hot water for the mm-hmm. uh, uh, for the the Russians, but also Flynn declared war on America, and he saw this radicalization online as a way to do it. 
And he had a huge success in 2016 with this group called MAGA3X. MAGA3X is the group that actually started QAnon um, in terms of writing the first drops. So that was, mm-hmm. that was two guys named James Brower and a troll named Microchip. And they worked for MAGA3X. And MAGA3X was run by Mike Flynn. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it was Flynn's op. Like literally the people who started it worked for this group that Mike Flynn was running. And MAGA3X also was the group that, that you know, frankly, uh, swung the election to Donald Trump. Um, they ran a whole bunch of those ops, um, the Huma stuff, all the Wiener emails, not to mention Pizzagate was all MAGA3X and Mike Flynn and those white supremacists, you know, guys like Pasobek and stuff running around. And so that, so, so he had the success in 2016, got, you know, he was planning on being national security advisor and taking over from the white house, but he got bumped off of there real quick and decided to go online and wage war on America. So, 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 so Flynn is not Q because Q is just a bunch of, assholes writing stuff to brainwash people but flynn is the one that was running it so if you if you have to name q it has to be flynn right well and it's just interesting because of how uh anything is amplified when it's a mystery right when it's like it's like it's like the wizard of oz it's like that's right um any gods or masters or 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 anyone who you can't see and you can't talk to, you can't negotiate with, but someone is speaking for them and delivering, uh, in, you know, like the, the Q drops are, yeah. they might as well be like dictations, right? From, from, from my, my parents. I mean, it's, no, totally. it's just information that can't be questioned and information that is like from a, um, a mysterious source yeah. tends to like, it, it's like you said, like you said in these, in these, uh, ARGs, it just drives people crazy. They're, you know, they, they yeah. can't stop looking. It's like, like the, like a mysterious hum or buzz or some, or, or lights in the sky or it's compelling you know, something to, like that. Like solving mm-hmm. puzzles, puzzles is something people want. So there's a, there's this, um, there's a term called apophenia. Yep. Uh, apophenia is a, is a, is a um, psychological condition that people get into if they're presented with noise without any signal in it. So the mm-hmm. classic example is, uh, you know, you used to back in the olden days, you'd turn on channel three or whatever, and you'd get a bunch of snow, right? Mm-hmm. If you sit somebody in front of snow for long enough, they will see shit. All people, right. literally everybody. Now, the question is how quickly, how vulnerable are they to it? And, you know, um, I, I had a cousin who's schizophrenic and he would literally sit down in front of snow on the TV and start narrating because it was (laughs) because he, it was real to him. He saw it because his mind was trying to make sense of what he saw and his brain had too many connections going on. Right. It was trying super hard, too hard to reach out into the world and make sense of it. Right. And so he was able to get stuff out of snow when it totally didn't exist immediately. But everybody has that same vulnerability. If you keep giving people bullshit over and over and over again, they will get into this hyperactive kind of hyper 
state where where they are very very open and um, to undue influence and to bad um, you know people telling them things they should not actually do and so when so Q deliberately set up this this kind of malevolent alternate reality game to increase apophenia to make yeah. to set up puzzles that could not possibly be solved because they were total mm -hmm. nonsense but if you get people in a community especially and the community is very important you get people in a community together trying to solve something it almost doesn't matter what the puzzle is because it's fun because it's yeah, interesting they'll create something and it's related also to uh pareidolia and the, the seeing of faces and patterns in totally. that that don't exist and also it's funny that you should mention snow because that's a, a an old horror film trope yeah, going exactly. all the way back to poltergeist right exactly <laughs> because it's mysterious what could possibly be in there right and and that's yeah. and q was just basically a big fascist snow so so basically mm -hmm. so the other part of it that that doesn't get really talked about very much at all and is and will need to be is the trauma that is intentionally um induced in people when they go searching for the solutions to these bullshit puzzles so mm -hmm. so the 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 way it works is like you hear from your friend, ooh, there's this, there's this mystery. There's, you know, there's missing kids. What is that? Let's go check it out. It feels very transgressive, but only very mildly, right? And and then suddenly they start getting videos, and these videos are weapons of mental mass destruction. They are these these long droning hypnotic things that start to give you all kinds of scary feelings and it it monotones and drones and then they crash in with a bunch of horrendous like violence against kids especially because that that is the most traumatic thing people see especially moms and they show a whole yeah. bunch of of really horrendous shit violence that dissociates me and I I can see I've seen everything, literally everything. Yeah, you're immune to it and, and it affects it you. It's interesting because I don't know if you saw uh, in the first season of Star Trek Picard, there was that trope about the Romulans and they had this this like it was a mind video that they would play for people. And it was about a takeover of artificial life, form, life forms mm -hmm. that would take that were going to take over the, and destroy the universe. Right. And it created such trauma that th these people were immediately radicalized and ready to go kill. Yeah. And I thought that was a very good metaphor that they used in that show, uh, and that that is really pertinent to our to our it times really right is. now. Trauma, trauma is the root of, of all of this. Ultimately, I mean, like the country has been traumatized for at least five years now, straight. Like like the, yeah. the the amount of horrible shit that everyday Americans, much less me, <laughs> who, who mm -hmm. wallows around in it all the time, are subjected to is just unbelievable, right? How many horrible, cruel, sociopathic things have been normalized, right? From kids, at, oh, I know, kids it's at the border to just just the let's go Brandon to all this just shit that is designed to to rip the morality and ethics away from human beings. Um, right. Because when you're in a crisis or an emergency, you can, you can overlook all that yeah, stuff. You can, right. <laughs> when you're, when you're in that alert state, fight or flight, like trauma. Yeah. 
it'll do it. Well, I want to dig right into tactics. And uh, the title of our episode is A Theocracy of Disinfo. And on the surface, it might not seem like that the old dominionist drive for Christian theocracy, which goes back 100 years or so, and this modern torrent of disinformation are related. Hmm. But my central theme for the episode is I really think they are intimately related and that they are just different branches of the same tree. And I'm wondering if you agree. And if so, can you explain how this movement works and why it's been so devastatingly successful? Yeah, I mean, the the dominionist, it's all doomsday ideology, right, Uh, at the end of it. Um, it's, uh, if you look at, at, at the, the, the way people get radicalized is uh, it almost always has an apocalyptic doomsday component to it. QAnon is absolutely mm-hmm. no different. It's about satanic pedophiles eating your kids and we have to go, yeah, doesn't get we worse. have to go <laughs> execute them right now. Otherwise, your kids are going to die like that, you know, and Dominionist is not very not really that different. Right. It's like you better do exactly what I tell you, you know, and help me take like create this this theocracy. Otherwise, you are a heretic and you are going to hell for eternity. And so are your kids. And, you know, it's it's not a different way of kind of um, traumatizing and and intimidating people into believing things that are against their own interests. Right. And so, so yeah. the interesting thing though, is that the dominionists and QAnon are no longer different at all. Like Mike Flynn mm-hmm. is in the CMP. He's a member of yeah. the council for national policy, which has been the probably the most destructive dominionist terrorist group, you know, in the last 40 years. And he's a card carrying member of it and cute. <laughs> so yeah. there you go right there. Like there is a, there is a confluence and, and, you know, like theosophy and especially, you know, fascist versions like, like cut, like they use all the same basic fear tactics and and the same apocalyptic shit as standard dominionists do right jim jones was a dominionist oh. your mom was yeah. a dominionist like you know <laughs> yeah well we we thought and and i believed at the time uh that we were literally that, that our job was to go and build a new golden age civilization that after the purification of the earth with this nuclear war that we were going to be the ones to survive we needed to have guns of course to take care of anybody who was, you know, coming after us. But um, in the end, we were planning to, you know, to the, the, this renewal, this idea of of renewal for the earth, that we would, you know, we would be back to the land, we would be farming, yeah. we would be uh, worshiping God, we would be doing everything the way that it was supposed to be. And all of this corruption would be washed away by this, by the nuclear fire. And so, um, and then it got to the very end where she told all of us that we were being directly targeted by the Soviets. That, that our shelters were being going to be targeted directly with a missile by the Soviets because they were in cahoots with the forces of darkness. And they knew that um, the real mission was to destroy right. us personally, yeah. because we were the ones who were, who were responsible for bringing in this golden age and their job was to prevent that. So it, it, it was, it, it's very similar. Absolutely. In a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, and you know, you can, you can go to, I mean, thank God it turned out less violent, you know, with, with, you and 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 your mom but you know there it's the anniversary mm-hmm. of jim jones 
he was an, he was also the same same doomsday bullshit same with um um Waco with David Koresh you know that was just an apocalyptic yeah. you know like version of seventh day adventism you know and um like people they they all need a way to make you fear for your life and to make you think that if you don't do what they say you're going to die and right well and the worst of them the worst of them actually if the apocalypse doesn't happen they bring it about like jim jones or like exactly. the uh, the the solar solar temple well, people who, now, you know they took po- poison yeah, but yeah. now these guys mm. the, these fascists are actually trying to do it to the world right like right. like the you know it's it's funny every it, it was confusing to me for a while for a little while before i realized uh why they are so against global warming I mean, against doing anything about global warming. They are for global warming. They want the earth to be a ball of fire. Like they think that that's a sign that it's coming. They really do. Yeah. Like, and, and so all the, all the, you know, the, the bullshit about, uh, about how it's hurting our economy and shit like that. That's just all nonsense. It's a pure lie designed to cover up for the fact that they want it. They like it. They, they're, they're interested in the apocalypse coming. And, you know, um, not, not only that, they're planning on making a lot of money from it on the way, yeah. on the way down. You know? Well, that, could, you um, know, that goes, don't, don't get me started on that. Cause that's Peter Thiel's whole thing is yes. set, he set up his entire, like, you know, organization, which is substantial, very substantial to profit from suffering and death. That is what he, yeah. he is. He is a, he, he capitalizes on <laughs> the more people die and suffer. Um, and that comes from his own weird cult that he's, he's in with uh, a guy named Rene Guinon or no Rene Garrard, pardon me, who is his professor at um, Stanford and believed that humans were violent by nature and that there was the only way that you could get to a better situation is through violence. Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen a lot of violence, but we've also seen civilization curtail a lot of violence, and the violence has dramatically declined through cooperative efforts and governments and civilization and all that kind of thing. And they're just trying to trying to break exactly. all that down. And and they're really feudalists, is what they are. They 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 really kind of long for these you know hundreds years long wars that they used to have in Europe before Europe really civilized. And uh, that's kind of what they're wanting to go back to right. is, is feudalism, feudalism. Uh, monarchism. You know, like, like these guys, the, the, especially the super rich ones, like they, they really believe that they should survive. They, they should be the, you know, among the elite few that survive once and get rid of all the rest of these, you know, sort of insects that are polluting their earth. Yeah. And. Well, who's going to serve them though? Who's going to who's going to wait on them hand and foot? I mean, it's they, like it, this is what they don't they think, think about. They, they have they, enough <laughs> money that it doesn't matter. <laughs> and and for, well, for and a Peter long Thiel. time, they're right, you know. But eventually, yeah, they'll run out run out of people to do stuff for them. Well, Peter Thiel just bought a huge mansion in Washington, and I was kind of commenting like he didn't do that to watch his priorities be defeated oh. in Congress. He's planning on taking over. The, he may be running. He may be, yeah. he may run for well, president. It would not surprise me at all. Or Flynn. Flynn Flynn, Flynn's, at, Flynn's different. Flynn believes, and, and I and I 
more and more I, I, you know, look, um, I think Flynn genuinely believes that he is some version of the Messiah, probably Archangel Michael. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely identifies with him. Um, Well, I wanted to talk more a little bit about the Republican Party in general as it sort of relates to all this. And they've been going more and more all in on supporting these outrageous statements, these cults, these these apocalyptic ideas uh, that have been that used to be on their fringes. And there was a time when conservatives used to denounce their own, like they, if they crossed the line into racism or sexism or outrageous statements, like when Richard Mordock and, you know, 10 years ago talked about rape being a part of God's plan, you know, he lost. And but that was really a preview of what has now become mainstream Republican doctrine. And these days, the Republican Party is firmly engaged in a purge of anyone who doesn't support these outrageous statements and actions. And it all, frankly, just seems like a giant trolling effort. But but it's but it's very serious. And they're, but they're just constantly trolling anyone who supports justice or rule of law. I mean, Liz Cheney, she just got voted out of the Republican Party yeah. in Wyoming. Uh you know, right. we, they, they just sent his ranches, by the way, which is not a coincidence. We can talk about that later. But yeah, well, 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 this is but this is the point is these guys have just they've they've taken over. And, you know, if they take over Congress, then Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar get their committee yeah. seats back. And, uh, you know, there's no there's no accountability. I mean, really is there's no not only no accountability, but they will continue to destroy a a democracy from the inside out. I mean, they say that, you know, they're open about that now. Look, the the GOP is no longer a political party. And and America right now, at least, is post-political, in my opinion. There's no politics anymore. Mm -hmm. There's no Republicans anymore. Um, I get very frustrated when people refer to political uh, backlash or something like, oh, they didn't, the Justice Department didn't do that because of the political backlash. Horseshit. Who's going to, like, there is no, there is not a single (laughs) thing that anyone can do that is going to change anybody's opinion over there. The thing that has to be done is to shore up democracy so that we can help the people who've been hurt by by a cult and and um and get our our country back together um the fact that there is this extreme gerrymandering and it's allowed and it's not questioned where you can get you know 51 percent of the vote but win 80 percent of the seats in the state legislature how i mean how is that even possible i how do they get away with it and this is what I, i i have not understood i know there are lawsuits and i know that sometimes these lawsuits are 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 not uh, you the know they supreme don't win court allowed it when it comes to these things uh, yeah uh, this, listen the supreme court has has you know uh, cult members on it <laughs> right these they're they're all yeah. federalist society uh you know people the they're all all like five, six of the nine justices are catholic nothing personal mm-hmm. against catholics but what the fuck that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Except for the fact that the Federalist Society is actually the one that's that's choosing who goes on the Supreme Court. And they now have, you know, six of them or whatever. Well, they, they kind of walk the line, right? Because, you can't, you know, the Constitution says that, uh, you know, the Establishment Clause, you can't 
have religion in government, but then they, they they start these societies like the Federalist Society that are explicitly designed to implement, you know, Catholic right. principles or, or, or anti democratic principles. Uh, and they right. do that. And they, the Johnson yeah, they Amendment, do that right? All day long, every single day. I post, I tweet about it constantly. It's like it doesn't even phase me anymore. But they're up there just straight up doing political gaslighting. Like it's yeah. Well, and it used to be it used to be that there was some talk when they would do this that like oh you know well, you might get your tax exemption jerked or we should tax the political churches and now that's just it's. It's just open season. There's at this no, point. They, yeah, they they just they <laughs> there is no like concerted effort to really crack down on any of this stuff, which is the part that you know uh, I can't get my head around and and is is upsetting. I think part of it, honestly, is just there's a desire by people, especially establishment politicians, to go back to the way things were. Like to have a justice mm-hmm. department that's completely independent of anything else, right? That that's a nice idea, but it's not going to work right now. What we need is a justice department that is going to save fucking democracy, not do anything illegal whatsoever. There's nothing illegal about it. It is not a a law. No, just, just enforce, enforce the law, the right? law only. <laughs> but- that's what matters. It, like like we're mm-hmm. we're not enforcing the law in order to protect norms, which is ridiculous. Think about like, like the laws are more important than the norms. So if you got to like go past the norms to, to enforce the law, do it. We have got to start getting yeah. real about this and stop worrying about shit. Like, uh, like, you know, the justice department, it looks like it might be biased. Fuck that. It should be biased. <laughs> no, it's like this is the last chance, really. I mean, if you can't if you can't uh, get these guys under control now, it's certainly not going to happen under uh, a future Republican president, <laughs> no. whether that be Trump or, you know, or or, or if, Flynn or, if they, or, if they or get, you know, Mike Pompeo. If they, you know, if they make any significant games in 2022, <laughs> even like I'm worried that there's no coming back from it because, you know, you, you get a majority in either house. And nothing will happen. There will be no legislation, period, for two years. So, so he will right. have Biden will have no accomplishments to point at. Um, you know, and, and nobody is being held accountable. So, what what's going to happen? What's going to happen is things are going to d- devolve and get worse. And then twenty twenty four rolls around, and even more of this shit starts kicking in. And, you know, it's it's a yeah. recipe for America to not be America in 2025. Well, that's it. And I, w- I want to turn now to the absolute savaging of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris that's happening in mainstream media. It's not just Fox and, and also the horrible polling. It seems like the more Biden accomplishes, the more his numbers drop. And I've counted at least five major articles in so-called liberal media in the past week, just viciously criticizing Kamala Harris for her office being in chaos. Or there was another one that said, like, it's hard to screw up being vice president, but doggone it, she screwed it up. You know, it's like we're in some kind of alternate universe where it, no matter what happens, no matter how good they are, nobody's giving them credit for their historic accomplishments, which have occurred against the absolute vicious onslaughts of right-wing disinformation and insanity. And 
Americans elected, you know, 80 million Americans elected Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to be the cleanup crew for the Trump disaster. And now it seems like they're hanging them both out to dry. And if I have to read one more damn story about inflation or gas prices or Thanksgiving dinner and how hard it is to get food and or how Biden's mental competency is being called into question, I, I'm just going to swear off yeah. reading the news because it's it's, it's no. crazy making. What do you think is going on? Is this is this part of the right wing psyop? How yes, do they do it this? Yes, it is absolutely part of the right wing psyop. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's it's all um, you know. There's a certain amount of just natural tendency of people to want to boast sides things, especially in mm-hmm. you know in the media because like let's be honest, they get money from there being two sides. If if you don't have two sides uh, to to an issue. You know, then you're just yelling about stuff, which honestly is what they should be doing. But they're used to this this ping pong um, tit for tat thing. Um, and so they basically make shit up or they go and they pick up on some of these right wing ops that, you know, about Biden being incompetent or or you know too old or senile or about Kamala being a bitch or whatever right but that's all straight out of the, the out of telegram and it just gets sort of whitewashed yeah. and and um, you know vaguely um, you know softened for something like politico to just you know write some bullshit that that gets people like me and you upset which they want. And gives red meat yeah. to everybody else. So, well, it's funny because if you listen to if you listen to like the CNN panel, you know, like I was <laughs> I was listening to their post mortem after the last election where Glenn Youngkin won in 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 Virginia, and it was just horrible. I mean, they were piling on to Democrats. It's almost like like when Trump was in office, they would pile on Trump, and now that Biden's in office, they're just piling on to Democrats and talking about how we're failing failing in our messaging. You know, we shouldn't well, have brought up. Like, look, there, like, there's like, blame there. <laughs> the, the Virginia was was won by a psyop, by a in the anti-CRT psyop that was inserted into especially Loudoun and Fairfax counties, um, right, which are the most populous ones, um, you know, right in mm-hmm. a couple weeks before and got a bunch of latently racist white people to get scared about education and their kids. That's what it was. Right. I, and I'm sorry to say that. I love Virginia. I lived in Maryland for a long time, but there are a lot of latently racist people there. Some outright. outright no, I was racist. born in Virginia. And, <laughs> you know, and, and totally. you know, it's on that kind of Mason Dixon line where there are people where there's there like people, it feels like people are trying to move on, you know, but, but there's still some of that left over. And this, this PSYOP, this anti-CRT, th- CRT is a, is a graduate level legal course. It's fucking bullshit. There is no CRT at all no. anywhere remotely close to a school. And, and they, they flipped white suburban women by 15 points. And that was the yeah. difference between victory and loss now can you can you blame democrats for that no but they didn't have a good candidate let's be honest i was not happy and they didn't have a good comeback the democrats don't 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 have a good comeback they bought into it and by buying into it they let let you know tv networks and stuff buy into it as well 
right? Like I, I saw, you know, on CNN the other day, they were, they were interviewing a woman who is clearly a cult member and talking to right. her as if her issues about CRT were somehow valid and, and an issue <laughs> that was a thing and was treating it like a, like a tit for tat. And I'm like, Jesus, what is wrong yeah. with you? This woman's brainwashed. She's sitting in a chair in front of you with googly eyes, like like clearly not well. And you're 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 promoting her as if she's just some regular voter. She's not. Yeah. Well, it's like you said, they will both sides anything because that's yeah. their bread and butter. Um, well, we're getting, I, we only could do 45 minutes on this because of, uh, the segment, but we're getting to the end of that time. And I wanted to ask you though, what's the most important thing our listeners can do right now to engage in resistance against this slow moving fascist coup? Because we've got to do something. It's hard not to feel that paralysis that I feel every day that the deck is stacked. And no matter what we say or how we vote, the takeover is just kind of a fait accompli. I mean, what what can we do? It feels that way sometimes. Um, what we can do is yell is first of all get educated, learn about this stuff. Don't listen to me. Go figure it out. It's not it's really not that hard, especially now. A lot of the stuff has has come out. So just make sure you understand what is going on, who the players are, and how things like psychological operations work and why cults work and how undue influence works and how trauma works. It's the most critical thing that people can do is understand what the situation is we're in and then do whatever the right thing is for you and your family and, you know, the people around you. The other thing you can do is scream your ass off at our leaders, leaders in our government to do something to get off their asses and, you know, follow along with the, you know, people like you and many others who are out here yelling, trying to make things better by educating. Um, the, the, the other thing is to not be so radicalized that you, you can no longer have compassion for people who have been victims of undue influence, right? People can get out of yes. these things. They, are, they, they, cults make you act in a way that repels other people by design, right? So your loved one, your friend that you used to hang out with all the time, and now sends you like trauma videos. Like, <laughs> if you can stay at least stay in touch with them and make sure that to the extent possible you are human to them. What the cult does yes. is dehumanizes the enemy. It dehumanizes the outgroup, whoever that is. And right now, that's anybody who isn't in the cult. Um, and I say cult in the kind of broadest sense of the word. And so trying to hang on to those relationships without arguing with people, with them, because that just makes you the enemy, but just keeping a human level like relationship at all can help as as um, as you learn and hopefully can um, educate them slowly and carefully, um, you know, on on how how they can find their path out because it always has to be them finding their path out. You can help them though. So that, sorry, that was a lot to yeah. pack in a short period, but but no, I, that's I just, great. That that's great. That compassion and and connection. 
as hard as it is, if you can do it and it doesn't harm you, then you should. Yeah, a lot of deprogramming needs to happen <laughs> in one form or another. Self deprogramming. I know, I know, I know. It's a loaded word, but I think self deprogramming is a better is a better way of thinking about it's, it. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been talking to, and there have been a few people popping up, new, new people that that have gotten them themselves out, mm -hmm. which is one of the most impressive things you can do, in my opinion, to change your own reality, to 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 get out of that. Yeah, you know, and I, I, you know, I couldn't admire you more, Sean, for for your work showing people that that it is not a death sentence. It is not somebody who has been taken forever. They need to be shown. They need to be helped on their way out. No, it's true, and and thank you. Thank you for saying that. And, and we have to talk again. This has been a very sobering conversation, but you know it's always good because you have a, a, a great perspective and I really appreciate you know learning from you. So uh, well, likewise, Sean, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful you invited me on. I'm happy to come on anytime and you'll have to come on on our show um, soon as well. Right? I, let's, I, let's just make it a big family. I can't wait. Solidarity. Right. And uh, I will see you out there. Sounds good. Thanks, man. Wow, that was a great segment with Jim. I wish we could have gone longer, but we had other stuff to talk about today. How did you feel about that, Joe? I thought it was a very powerful uh, segment. I, I think Jim's great. I learned some things from him just in watching this 45-minute clip. And, you know, the things like, you know, thinking about this as obsessive cycles of behavior in games, like mm -hmm. these alt-reality games, how that has framed sort of the PSYOP aspect of this, the, this gamification of propaganda, I think is really a cool notion. It makes so much sense to me. And, uh, you know, I think about it in particular, what I really struck out was there's, there's an obsessiveness quality to all of this, right? There's this sort of flaw within humanity, within all of us that we do can get really obsessed over things under the right circumstances, not just people who have some kind of mental illness diagnosis, but I think it's true of all of us. Mm -hmm. And I and then you then you take and you you basically take that weakness along with others like our propensity to be tribal and all of that, and you game it all in propaganda and you do it through these incredibly powerful technology through this social media experience, right? And this is what we're talking about here. And he laid it out pretty well, and I thought it, it was a, he made a really good case of all that. I mean. What makes people vulnerable to propaganda and all kinds of cults throughout history, right? Study it, then <laughs> you can work it and make it happen again. I mean, that's literally what's happening. Um, you know, people go through phases of life. Being young, you're, you're very different in your outlook and your hopes and desires. You gain that. Uh, nothing new, right? Evangelicals, for example, ha can be found in every college campus in, in, in the country and around the world. They go after young people because of that, because young people are in that moment in their life where they are wondering about life. They're asking the big questions for the first time. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for hope. And, you know, what, what they're seeing instead, right, is you're seeing this, this, this massive right-wing psyop 
right? Yeah. With 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 um, what Jim said, these live action role playing characters, these larks playing Q and on and all that, right? Mm-hmm. And you know they throw out the mystery, they throw out the accusations, they keep people guessing, and then they add the fear and the trauma, and they add the violence videos, and they throw in doomsday ideology, all you know, all this stuff they can like just really filter into people's psyche and just grab them and and make them really just incredibly vulnerable to these fears and ideas. No, I just think humans need to make sense of things. I think that was mentioned. Uh, we need to close the loops, create closure to, to things, right? So, we, we fill in the gaps. We, we, our brains are designed to do that. And, and uh, so, all you need to do to make, have a really effective PSYOP campaign is place just enough there to promote the connections that you want to promote, right? And it's better that way. It's better than telling people straight out what's going on. You let them f- think that they figured it out themselves, that they're, they're their own ideas, right? Much better, much more powerful. Uh, oh, yeah. And you can, actually, you know what, Sean, you mentioned this before with cryptocurrency. You can see the same thing. These cryptocurrency currency enthusiasts, they're just like obsessed, right? Uh, it happens in, in every single way possible, right? So, these, yeah. the, our, our higher level of cognition gets overridden by the swamp, by these, this lizard brain, uh, you know, crusade of emotions, basically. Well, and it starts out, people can self-brainwash much more easily than someone else can brainwash Absolutely. Them, right? If they want to believe something, and it's like, and it's like <clears throat> what I said at the, at the end of the segment, right? Um, we need people to self-deprogram. Nobody can get anyone out of a cult until they want to come out of the cult. That's that's what it comes down to. The pain of being in the cult has to become greater than the pain of leaving the cult. And and trust me, there's a lot of pain. When I left my cult, it was um, it was devastating. I mean, I yeah. I literally had to put myself back together over the course of like a year or 18 months. I didn't know even know what I was alive for. I had no idea yeah. what my purpose was in life. And I had to start from ground zero and build myself up um, with a sense of and, and it was really interesting because when I was in the cult, you know, everything was for the masters, for God, right? And um, I drew this chart for myself and I put it up on my mirror because I was really struggling from day to day after I got out of the cult. And what it basically involved was building a sense of reciprocity with society. Like I felt like I really wanted to contribute something to society. And that was not all of my efforts when I was in the cult were toward the the cult's goals. And Mm -hmm. what, you know, what we were told was the divine plan or what needed to happen in the world. But for me, this was like, okay, I want to find something that I can do where I feel like I, like what I'm being paid is for value received. Like I can make a contribution that actually justifies my existence. Right. And it was a very, it was a very much of a shift. And I think, um, this is the only way I can relate to it because when I left the cult, it was also for that same reason that I felt that my family and my life was not valued. And in order for me to find that value, I had to get out of this, this paradigm that, that really reduced and eliminated human concerns um, to a great degree. Yeah. And wow. so that was what it really was. That's what pulled me out of it was understanding that I valued myself more as a human being and what I could personally that I could find value in making that contribution. And I think that this is the this is the power of this cult that is sweeping the world and sweeping everybody's brains right now is it is telling them things that they want to hear. Yeah. And 
And honestly, I mean, this is there's such a psychological quality to all of this. Such a, and, and, and I think Jim's point about having some compassion towards people mm -hmm. who are in this cult, especially those who are young, is a valid one. I mean, like, if I, I think, my, you know, the loneliness people can feel, the isolation, the alienation, which, by the way, is a real huge part of our capitalist culture. Right, the commodification of everything, the hyper individualism, and all of that—that that kind of disconnection makes you very vulnerable, very, very vulnerable. You want you you you're grasping out for anything that's going to make you feel better. And so mm -hmm. here comes these guys, you know, and like you know, they they come on 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 YouTube and entice young boys to to hate women, like in in, in Q. Uh, QAnon, yeah. or it's like if I was seven, sixteen, or seventeen, and I was exposed to it, what would have happened to me? I don't know. I can't say, right? Uh, yeah, I, I'm certainly not arrogant enough to believe that I'm immune to any of that, or was when I was seventeen. But um, although I do remember that I was really enticed by an evangelical group, and I eventually rejected them at that age. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, the thing is, like, we have to think of this as human vulnerabilities. And mm -hmm. I think that we need to fight hard, but at the same time, we don't want to fall into the traps trap of, you know, you completely fall into our primitive brain and demonizing everyone and falling into these hardcore, you know, us versus them mentality. I think we need to fight, figure out a way to do both, right? To be really strong and really effective and fight, but at the same time to be better than than our base nature. Well, it, that that's just it though, okay? And it's not a matter of demonizing these guys, but by their actions, they are, have painted themselves. They have self-identified as as a kind of barbarian, right? There's a there's a there's a barbarism to it. And I don't think that if we want to keep civilization, we can't give any quarter to barbarism. And so it does like, it, and it's tough when it comes to family and friends and your circle, because um, as Jim said, you know, you got to keep people close. You can't uh, yeah. constantly argue and fight with them and expect them to ever come out of it because that just drives them farther into the cult. And yeah, it, it, it's because it's right. like with me when, when we were at, at, at Church Universal and Triumphant. Okay. When we were attacked in the media, we just circled the wagons. And we just became more convinced of our own righteousness. And I didn't think I was crazy at the time. And it took actually getting to that point where the pain I was experiencing in the cult was worse than, the pro than, than what it took to, to get myself out. That is the only way yeah. I left. And it took many, many, many years to get to that point. So that's why I, I am not terribly optimistic as to how, as to this ending well. And, and yeah, no, I have to either. keep that up. I have to keep that optimism as the radical act, you know? <laughs> well, I'm um, not either. I'm not optimistic. I am hopeful. Again, I want to make that distinction there. I think optimism is uh, based on ideas and, and a lot of, a lot of its rationality, right? We look mm -hmm. at things, we, we, we assess the situation, but hope is really about sort of trying to survive and persevere and figure out an effective strategy to fight back. And that's hope is is really more about energy, right? Having energy, yeah. right? Because hopelessness is lack of energy. Hope is having energy, and that's what we have to think about. Is you know, like absolutely, we don't want to give quarters to any of this bad behavior. That's yeah. absolutely true. 
but it's kind of like you know if you look at a tiger the tiger has very sharp claws and if it's and it can kill you and you just have to mm -hmm. you have to understand that but it doesn't mean that you have to you you also can think about well you have to look at the being the nature of the tiger as well and mm -hmm. young people especially are you know not you know certainly there are people that i have no you know no compassion for in the sense of like they really are like the michael flynn's you know people like that that are just causing oh. all this grief right and the real you know puppet masters no i have no compassion for them but you know like i can i think these uh, people they see the world teetering on the edge one way or the other and in service of their own personal power they're giving it a kick or a push to, to fall yeah. off the edge and they don't care and that type of mentality cannot be reasoned with no, it cannot be reasoned with, and and also we need to not, you know, we need to stop them and then not, not give them quarter, right? Yeah, like you said, and, and I, I think a lot of people, okay, a, a lot of people may be in various stages of denial as to like where we are and and what this moment demands, and I I wanted to say because. I know we've talked about this in the past, Joe, about you know your your family's coming out of difficult circumstances, and um, we <laughs> white Americans, uh, whether you're immigrant or whether you're born here, doesn't matter. We white uh, your, white Europeans in the post-war period from 1945 to let's just say 2016, if we want to if we want to put a, a you know a button on this era, okay have been among the most privileged people in the history of the world. There's been about 100 billion human humans that have lived in, in you know, in all of, of human history. And this like one or two billion of us, you know, have been right. the luckiest, the the most pampered and privileged, the um, the most free. And um, I just like, why do we think that we're special? Like, if you can imagine in in Weimar Germany and in all of Europe, really in France at the time, uh, before the rise of Hitler, there was a thriving culture, a th thriving you know a intellectual culture, um, you know art and music and 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 dance and theater and and film. Okay, was all happening pre World War II, and all of those people got dragged through this same horseshit that we're starting to get dragged through. Of having neighbor turn against neighbor, and having you know, and, and having brown shirts, and having to to be suspicious of everyone, and having to be armed, and you know, when I think about it, it's like this this bothers me. I'm depressed by it, but at the same time, why would we think that we weren't subject to these same laws? We've gotten complacent. We don't understand uh, what we're up against, and it's time for us to recognize that we may be looking at a a true repeat of of that history and to to really meet the moment we have to meet the moment we can't just sit here and wring our hands and go why is this happening we have yeah. to meet the moment yeah we a, we have to accept where we are that the post-war period is done and that we're in a decline and that we have this rising fascism this rising theocracy climate change all these other issues we have to accept that this is the moment that we are in and we then can act on that truth because denying it isn't going to be helpful at the same time we want to be 
strong and vigorous and we want mm -hmm. to be hopeful and energetic and 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 find community and find connections and figure out how to do this it's not just about buying our own guns i mean i i, I have nothing against that actually i mm -hmm. i'm not i don't own a gun but maybe I, I will at some point but i don't that's not the issue but also to be connected to other like-minded people that are also interested in a better world like we're trying to do in this show, right? To, to reach out, to talk to people, to make, to make these linkages that, that can then be very valuable. We will all need each other. We will. Yeah. More than it's ever. All, all we have is each other. And we have to really start thinking about what that means in a practical way to, to, to band together as, as a community of people who are on, we're on team civilization. We want this to continue. We want science to continue. We want, you know, art and music to continue. We want our kids to be free to have, to enjoy the same freedoms that we all enjoyed in the 1945 to, to 2016 period. Okay. We, and, and that is our, that's our fight. That's, that's the only thing worth fighting for as far as I'm concerned. We have so much to lose still. We really do. We've lost some. We do have. We have definitely have lost some, but we have so much more we could lose. That's the other thing. I mean, I, I have a, 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 a gender non-binary child. What would their life be like if we had a theocracy and a dictatorship in our society, in this country? It would be brutal. I mean, brutal. And, and people of color, uh, women and, and their reproductive rights, right? And even who knows their workplace rights, right? The rights that so many rights that women have earned just recently, right? Only in the last few generations. It, it, yeah. This is, I mean, for if you've had millennia of oppression and, that, and for the last three, three or four generations, you've had some liberation. It hasn't been mm -hmm. long, right? Those oh. rights are threatened. And, yeah. and people have to realize what we're fighting for here and what the stakes are and how much, you know, we've already fallen into this grand pit that we, we're learning about. It's, yeah. we're well in there. Yeah, well, hopefully for our listeners, this show has been enlightening to help identify these patterns of disinformation and oppression that we're seeing. And so anything else you have to add, Joe? Well, I would recommend watching some more Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> that's always a good idea. I mean, <laughs> keep the faith in humanity. Yeah, we can overcome this. The question is, yeah. will we? And that's our show for today. Remember, if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, support us on Patreon, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles weekly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. I'm Sean Prophet. Thank you for being here, and remember, wherever you are, you can be radically secular. The Radical Secular Podcast is written and produced by Christoph Defoe, Sean Prophet, Joe Okipinti, and Drew Scott. Artwork and design by Tim Stetner. Post-production and theme music by Sean Prophet. Special thanks to our support team, Lindsay Brightman, Jillian Sky Jacobs, and Lori Field-Okipinti. Okay,